issue of using drones for delivering packages to consumers is, shall we say, up in the air. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. drones are coming, that much seems clear. What form they'll take, where they'll operate, and what purposes they'll serve are yet to be determined. There are a number of legal and regulatory questions still to be worked out. A proposed rule by the Federal Aviation Administration places so many restrictions on commercial drones that it would be pretty much impossible for them to function. Obviously, changes will need to be made. Today I'm speaking with Lisa Ellman, partner in the law firm of Hogan Lovells. She's a former advisor to President Obama on domestic drone policy. She joins us to talk about the prospects for full-scale drone operations from regulatory, legal, and practical perspectives. We'll discuss what has to happen before Amazon, Walmart, and other merchandisers can start using drones to drop packages at your doorstep. So here is my conversation with Lisa Ellman. Lisa Ellman, welcome to the program. Thank you, Bob. Thanks for having me. In this conversation, we're going to have about drones, which are also known as unmanned aircraft systems, although that's a little unwieldy. I hope we can use the word drones without being too inaccurate. Let's start with the FAA. Where are we with respect to FAA proposed rules on the operations or limitations on commercial drones? Sure. So on February 15th of this year, the FAA issued a notice of proposed rulemaking, a proposed rule that would cover the operations uh, and safety issues surrounding the integration of drones into our national airspace systems. So into an NAS, national airspace system. So so right now, um, as you know, it's totally it's legal to fly drones as a hobbyist for recreational purposes. But if you're a commercial entity looking to fly, it's currently unauthorized unless you, unless you have some kind of special exemption, a 333 exemption or, or some other license from the FAA to fly. Um, this proposed rule, once it becomes final, will change that, and it will become broadly authorized for commercial drone use here in the United States. Long-awaited proposed rulemaking. It seems it has yeah. taken forever for the FAA to get its act together, even to this point. What's taken so long? Well, you know, one of the issues that the FAA is dealing with is that the United States has the most complex airspace system in the world. And so they have a lot of issues to be thinking about. If you take a step back and just consider, what does it mean to have a an integrated airspace system? What does it mean to have drones flying, you know, next to structures, over people, under manned aircraft, near helicopters? It is a complicated question that they're that they're dealing with, a complicated issue, and what makes the issue more complicated for them is that we don't have a lot of data to use. Generally, if you're a policymaker, you have a wealth of data of years of experience in order to make certain regulatory decisions, and they just don't have 
any of that data. It hasn't been legal to fly drones commercially in any consistent or systemic way. And so um, a lot of this we're kind of making up as we go along. That said, the FAA has missed several deadlines. There has been a lot of frustration from industry, from the community that it has taken so long. The proposed rule was a solid step forward, but we really need to get that proposed rule finalized. And it looks like most likely near the end of the year, we'll probably have the proposed rule sent to the White House where there'll be another interagency process, another three, three months or so review uh, at OIRA, the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs. And then at some point next year, we'll have a final rule in place. That's the hope. Now, from a commercial standpoint, there are some aspects of that proposed rule, or correct me if these aren't in the proposed rule, but I've heard that they were some aspects that may be of concern to commercial operators, such as the need to maintain line of sight of the aircraft at all times. That seems completely impractical from the standpoint of commercial, especially delivery drones, does it not? Yeah, well, unfortunately, that is the, and it's it's an iterative process. But you're right. The first version of this proposed rule does not allow for beyond line of sight operations. It also does not allow for flights in congested areas or over people. And those are the two biggest things which industry is very anxious. And you can imagine delivery drones. One of the big, um, they both need to be able to fly beyond line of sight of the operator, and as well as if you're delivering somewhere that's not just in a rural town, um, you need to fly, be able to fly over congested areas. And this is true for a lot. Of the many use cases for drones. You can imagine if we're going to be using drones for farming, for crop inspection, for example. It doesn't make any sense. It takes away a lot of efficiencies of drones if we have to be following that drone uh, every mile rather than be able to send it to go survey the property and come back. Same with pipeline inspection or power line inspection. A lot of the uses of drones we're going to need beyond line of sight in order to be able to do that. Now, the background here is that the FAA is regulating as if drones are going to fall out of the sky at any time or fly away at any time. That is okay um, if, as long as they're not over people um, and no one gets hurt. It's also okay as long as we can see the drone and figure out how to get it back to the operator. As soon as the drone is beyond line of sight, we're not sure the FAA or regulators are concerned that there aren't, they aren't able to keep track of the drone and make sure that it doesn't crash into other aircraft, for example, or, or people on the ground. Um, how does it communicate with air traffic control? And there's a lot of technology that's in process right now that is being developed that will help take care of some of these safety concerns. And I think as the technology improves, the regulations will as well evolve to allow for beyond line of sight flight operations and flights over people. Yeah, certainly the aspect about congested areas, I mean, that's essentially a deal killer, is it not, in terms of using them for delivery? The whole point of using them for delivery is it would be in what is probably a busy area. So you, you couldn't have delivery drones under such a restriction. Right, right. Well, you so right now, um, in 333 exemptions, they have the same requirement that you can't fly over people. However, on closed-step filming operations, you are allowed to fly within 500 feet of people. And the key, to, and so a lot of these Hollywood film producers and Holly, uh, the, the film companies that have gotten approvals to be able to fly within 500 feet of people over congested areas. The idea there is that a film set is a controlled space. Everyone on that film set has opted into being there. They signed some kind of waiver. They are opting in to participating in this UAS operation. And over time, the goal is that we have to kind of make all operations kind of like close-up filming. With close-up filming, you have to do an extra manual. You have to make the safety case to the FAA of, of how you're, you will operate safely over people. And again, uh, a lot of this collision avoidance software, for example, that prevents 
a drone from crashing into a person or a structure, even if it tried to. That type of technology will become critical as we seek to get approvals to be operating over people. Again, like I said, the FAA is regulating as if the drone is going to fall out of the sky, out of the sky and so they don't care as long as nobody's around, but uh, obviously they don't want folks to be injured. So um, we should watch carefully for this technology and get innovators working together with policymakers so that policymakers can understand the technologies out that, that is out there that can help protect us, that can make drones safe to be flying over people. And, yeah. uh, you know, and hopefully get there over time. It sounds like some of the same technology that's being developed for driverless vehicles, the collision avoidance aspect of it, certainly. Right. Yes, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about the possibility of the requirement for a pilot's license for drone or UAS operators? Is that also a, a difficult, uh, if not impossible, restriction to adhere to? Exactly. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense that right now if you want to fly a drone commercially, you have to have an actual manned aircraft pilot's license. Obviously, a 747 and a 20-pound drone have little to nothing in common except for the fact that they, they fly in the air. But even that, they fly in very different airspace. But because this whole system right now of regulating UAS has been somewhat grafted onto the manned aircraft regulation system. There are some absurd results. This is one of them. You can imagine that someone who is able to play video games likely has some (laughs) helpful skills to fly a drone. It's, of course, understands uh, important for pilots or operators of drones to understand airspace issues. But for this reason, um, the, the FAA understands that. They get that. And it's been a huge burden on industry with these 333 exemptions. However, uh, the proposed rule does allow for a UAS operator certificate. It allows for someone to go take a knowledge test, medically self-certify that they're fit to, to fly a drone, and they will be able to, without having any actual manned aircraft pilot's experience, be able to be certi- certified to fly a drone. So that was very good news for the industry, and folks are very anxious for the rule to be finalized so we can get this system up and running. How long is the long arm of the FAA? Are there limitations on its power to regulate the operation of drones in any way? Well, the FAA has jurisdiction over the the safety and security of our national airspace, but states and localities traditionally regulate privacy and property rights. And there are many states, almost every state in our country has either proposed or passed some form of legislation that would limit UAS use in some way. And so here we're seeing much of this legislation is geared towards law enforcement use of drones, but some of it impacts private owners as well. Um, There was just recently a law that was passed overwhelmingly in both houses of the legislature in California, and it would have made it a trespass or a property violation if someone flew a drone even accidentally over someone else's private property within 350 feet above ground level. That would, and right now you can, under a 333 exemption, you can only fly up to 400 feet anyway. So that would have left 50 feet of airspace that commercial drone users could actually use, and it effectively would have killed innovation. People would have been, it was a strict liability. So it would have made folks so worried about liability concerns that they would, would have chosen not to fly, and it would have really killed the industry in California. You're saying would have, but I understood that Governor Brown signed a bill that controlled the or prohibited the use of drones by paparazzi in some way. Yeah. Uh, or, or so a, is that a different thing? That is a different thing. This was vetoed by the governor, which folks were very happy about. But they, he did sign a different bill into law that does make it illegal for paparazzi to be kind of spying on 
celebrities or anyone really, but of course that's who they're they're looking to film, taking aerial data or aerial images from the air in a way that would invade someone's reasonable expectation of privacy. So do we potentially have the problem of a hodgepodge of federal, state, city, and local regulations all differing wildly in, in years to come on the issue of uh, the operation of UASs or drones? Yes, Bob, that is definitely a, a big concern for the industry. Uh, you can imagine having, you know, a smattering of 50 different rules in 50 different states, and not only states, but also towns and communities are crafting their own limitations on operators or limitations on for privacy reasons, on UAS use for privacy reasons. And so um, this is definitely something that the industry should be aware of, is aware of, and we'll have to see how this plays out. Of course, we also have the federal Congress, which is looking to regulate drones as well. So you have lots of different regulators, lots of different actors in this space, and it's just a matter of time. We'll have to see kind of how it all plays out. But there, there are clear preemption issues, potential preemption issues here, because you're going to have, you know, the FAA regulates, they like to say they regulate from the ground up. There are airspace ownership issues, property rights issues, privacy issues that have traditionally been local in nature, but it's un clear how it's all going to play out. Wow. So potentially if I order a product uh, off the internet from Amazon or whoever, I have to check or Amazon has to check, first of all, whether I live in a drone-friendly community in order to have that delivered to me in that <laughs> manner. I mean, is it possible in the future that it could be just so ridiculous that you know some people could get it that way and some people couldn't? Well, I think the the answer is that you you can buy what you want in terms of operating it. I think the question will be, uh, you have to be aware of what are the rules and regulations, not only the FAA rules and regulations, but also what are the rules and regulations in your own state, in your own community. It's important to be aware of, of what the restrictions might be. So there is legislation pending right now, is there, in Congress and at other states? Is, is there any particular law that we need to really be paying attention to right now that might be in development? Uh, there are a few. Um, there are several. Some of them deal with safety issues. Some of them deal with privacy issues. They actually kind of come from both sides. There's uh, Senator Booker's bill, which is looking to move recognizing the many benefits of the commercial uses of drones and wanting to speed up the FAA process. And then, you know, from the other side, there's a bill out there that would, for example, require certain technology on any consumer drone that is sold to require it to have, for example, geofencing technology or technology that would help alleviate some of the safety concerns with the use of drones. And so there's a lot of legislation that's out there. I don't know what of it is going to be passed, but I do know that the FAA is is working diligently on the proposed rule, and hopefully it will become final very soon so that we can finally open the skies. We've heard estimates anywhere uh, around $82 billion of economic benefit once the skies are open in the next 10 years, 100,000 new jobs created. The you know, it's very clear the benefit to the industry and to the American public once we have drones um, that are authorized. But, of course, we want to do it in a way that protects the public's interest and wins the public's trust. And so that is, of course, important as well. So there's regulation, there's legislation, and then I guess the third possibility is private actions in court. Uh, mm -hmm. Litigation about liability if a drone should crash onto somebody's property or someone perceives damage, or even for the, that matter, just complain about the nuisance aspect of a drone flying over their house. These things aren't going to be completely silent. So how serious might that be in the future in terms of inhibiting the, the full use of, of drones? 
Exactly. Well, we hear a lot. You hit an important point, Bob, because we hear a lot about the privacy concerns with the use of drones, and it's talked about in popular culture. There was an interesting study out of the University of Oklahoma, which asked people their concern with ground-mounted cameras versus drone-based cameras to capture the same information and the same data. And people overwhelmingly were more concerned over the drone-based camera than the ground-based camera. So there's a lot of just um, apprehension about drones generally. And because of that, we are going to see lawsuits. There are technology-neutral rules that protect our privacy interests. You mentioned trespass and nuisance and peeping time and stalking laws. And any of these laws are, that are technology-neutral protect our interests. And are also vehicles, of course, for litigation if I feel like someone is spying on me in my backyard or peeping into my bedroom window with a drone. Same as if it was, you, you know, someone was using a stepladder to do the same thing. That would be um, creepy and <laughs> could be grounds for litigation. Now, you mentioned 80, 82 billion, that's billion with a B, uh, yep. potential impact, 100,000 jobs. Yep. There's got to be areas, though, in the future where this technology is practical and areas where it's not. Have you, in terms of your experience with it and your studying the issue, are there areas that you really think it's going to work and other areas where you think it probably isn't? Well, I think um, what we're going to see in the short term is areas where it uh, makes a whole lot of sense because it makes our operations safer. So imagine cell tower inspection, where people are actually climbing up these cell towers in order to be able to inspect them. It makes a whole lot more sense to do that with a drone. Same thing with all, all these industrial infrastructure applications, I think, make pipeline inspection, power line inspection, which make these very dangerous activities safer. I think we're going to see in the short term a lot of interest in drones we already have for these purposes. Disaster response, for example, finding missing hikers. There are nonprofits out there that are using drones to you know, find missing people. Those kind of applications are critically important in the short term, enabling those kinds of applications. And then, of course, precision agriculture. There are some applications out there that will simply make us more economically competitive with the rest of the world, and those are very important as well. There are then more kind of fun applications that I think are also very important. Of course, aerial photography can be used for a whole long list of things, from anything from news gathering to wedding photography to everything in between. And then you hear of folks in um, Wisconsin, for example, who are looking to do beer delivery with drones. You know, I don't know that that's something that we're going to see <laughs> anytime Why soon. Why Wisconsin uh, specifically? I don't understand, but... Uh, right, right. <laughs> exactly. Um, so the key is enabling in the short term where there are clear safety benefits and clear economic efficiency benefits, enabling those applications. And then in the longer term, every industry will find a use for drones. It's just a matter of how compelling it is. Yeah, all that stuff that you just mentioned sounds great to me, but I'm having a hard time understanding what would be the economic feasibility of the use of drones for individual deliveries to homes, that uh, the cost uh, versus the, uh, the the practicality of dropping stuff on people's doorsteps and things like that. So that still seems to me to be a bit of a reach in terms of a practical use of this technology. What do you think about that? Well, we've already seen in July there was a test done in, in rural Virginia where there was a, a delivery to a a healthcare clinic um, of medication to a, in a rural area, it made you kind of imagine or under, enabled us to imagine why it's so important to have drones for delivery. Mm -hmm. I think in the, in the short term, I think we're going to see if when we see drones deliver products, I think it will be in rural areas, perhaps at first. 
allowing either the U.S. Postal Service or UPS or FedEx or whoever it may be. A lot of times they try to deliver in rural locations and like the dirt road driveway is a mile down from the street and perhaps they bring the drone with them in their truck and then deliver down the driveway, which makes a whole lot of sense. We know where we're dropping it. People are, are actually could be concerned about if I ordered something that I paid for and having it delivered to my apartment building where there's a lot of other people, how exactly is it going to get to me? And so for functional reasons, for safety reasons, in the short term, I think we'll see delivery in rural areas, but we're not going to be seeing drone delivery to New York City anytime soon. That I think will, will will take some time to work out all of the logistics. Now, you're in the private sector now, but I understand you had a role in advising President Obama on drone policy. And I'm wondering, how have you been personally involved in, in shaping drone policy in that role? Yes. So so I was working in the White House. Um, I worked for the federal government for many years. I was working in the White House from 2011 to 2013, working to integrate emerging technologies into the federal government. And in 2012, of course, the congressional mandate came down that instructed the federal government to integrate drones into our national airspace. And at that time, I moved back to DOJ and was asked to run drones policy at the Department of Justice, domestic drones policy, and to, to participate on the federal interagency group that was considering the privacy and safety and security issues surrounding the integration of drones into our national airspace. So working with the FAA and DOT and DHS and DOJ and the White House and others to think about these, all of these different considerations and craft rules that would, that would work both to build the public's trust and ensure that we're doing this in a way that makes sense. I recognize from within the government the huge potential of this industry and had been looking to move to the private sector for a while. And so, you know, realized I could make a big um, impact helping clients in this industry as we're getting this industry off the ground. And so that's my role now at Hogan Levels is leading the drones practice group. We help drones manufacturers, operators, users, anyone in this industry who's interested in drones. Um, we help them with all the regulatory and, and policy considerations as well as, as everything else with mergers and acquisitions around the use of drones or filing for patents around the use of drones. We're a one-stop shop to, to help any company in this industry as they seek to build a business. So what can the private sector, uh, the drone technology world, do to advance the cause of the technology? Having worked from the, within the federal government on these issues, I think it's just very important for policymakers to learn all of the latest new technologies, um, new capabilities that are out there so that we're, we're drafting policy in a way that is informed and that makes sense. And so innovators, I like to I talk about the concept of policymaking. Policymaking must promote innovation, but innovators must work with policymakers and help policymakers as well. It's a two-way street. And so um, I hope that anyone interested in drones, thinking about using drones in their work moving forward, would get involved, let the government know of their interests, and educate policymakers on what the technological capabilities are, what the potential use cases are, um, making sure that we're you know, helping policymakers make policy that, that that makes sense in the long term for all of us. Well, clearly the issue is far from settled, but this has uh, been quite an education speaking with you about where we are now and, and how we might move forward with this technology. So, Lisa Elman, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for your time. Of course. Thank you for having me, Bob. That was my conversation with attorney Lisa Elman talking about the future of commercial drones. Watch the skies. They're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content 
including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. And follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time. Thank you.